Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello, everybody. Today, my guest is Susan Steinbrecher, and we'll be talking about heart-centered leadership. And this is a topic that's very dear to me. And those of you who know me, you'll be fully aware that I'm all about heartfelt connection. And to whet your appetite, here's a quick soundbite from Susan. This leader inspired me, believed in me, empowered me, cared about me, listened to me, treated me like a whole human being, genuinely was interested in my success. And as a result, I would do anything for this leader. A couple of announcements before I bring Susan Steinbrecher to the mic. First, thank you to those who filled out the survey that I opened up a couple of weeks ago when I interviewed myself on the high point of making a podcast, and that was positivitystrategist.com slash PS22. It was gratifying to learn that you love the show and also the weekly Positivity Lens activities. That was really good news because it takes a bit more effort Yet I really want my guests' messages to stick with you and hope they get integrated within you at a deeper level and you put them into practice. And while I'm on this, thank you also for the positive comments you're leaving on iTunes. And if you haven't yet, it would mean a lot for the visibility of the show if you did leave a ranking and a review. And now to the second part of my announcement, and that's our Positivity Lens Reframe segment from last week's show, positivitystrategist.com slash PS24 with Jade Inspiration. If you downloaded the Positivity Lens Activity Worksheet, you will have reflected on the following. What are you actively creating in your life right now where you're experiencing happiness and joy? And what might be some fears that are holding you back? You know, what are some of those limiting beliefs? And how is your ego keeping you small? And then what about your internal dialogue? How are you talking to yourself? And then finally, I suggested that you increase all the positive influences in your life by surrounding yourself with positive resources. For example, people and books and apps and movies and beautiful scenery. And the more that you do this, the more positive influences you'll find. And now to this week's show. My guest this week is Susan Steinbrecher. You'll be listening into a conversation with a seasoned professional who speaks my language. So I'm excited. Susan, welcome so much to Positivity Strategist. Oh, thank you, Robin. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. Fantastic. I'm very excited about our conversation, as I said. So let me just introduce Susan. Um, If she needs some introduction, I'm sure many of you will already know her out there. Susan's a business consultant and co-author with Dr. Joel Bennett of Heart-Centered Leadership, Lead Well, Live Well. And Susan's a CEO of Steinbrecher and Associates in Hertz, Texas. 
She's an executive coach, a licensed mediator, a professional speaker, and leadership advisor. Susan's also a prolific writer. Of course, she's also authored two other books, one of which is the Amazon bestseller Kensho, A Modern Awakening, and you'll be able to find that on Amazon.com. Now, Susan's also a columnist for some pretty amazing publications out there, Inc.com. She's also a contributor to Entrepreneur.com, and she's a Huffington Post blogger. And Susan's work has also been featured on MSNBC's Your Business, Woman's Day, Fortune, Small Business, CNBC.com and CNNMoney.com. So I told you, you're in for a treat. (laughs) And in our conversation, Susan and I will focus on why we need to encourage more heart-centered communication between leaders and their associates and what happens when we do. So Susan, why this topic of heart-centered leadership and what does it mean to you? Well, uh, thank you, Robin. And heart-centered leadership to me is really taking leadership to a whole nother level. You know, I always like to talk to people about, you know, you have management, you have leadership, and then you have heart-centered leadership. And I like to define heart-centered leadership as really that leader that not only is a good leader, but they have the wisdom, the courage, and really the compassion uh, to lead others with true transparency and authenticity, humility, and service. So they're servicing their employees, not necessarily the other way around. And I think that's just a very, very important message right now in, in light of the fact that we have at our highest level of disengaged employees in the workplace. Yeah, so um, right now is an important factor, I think. So I'm curious as to know, are you limited to leadership? You know, why leadership when perhaps we're all leaders at different times in different contexts? So maybe you could just explore a little bit about leadership per se. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think in a business community, uh, management is important and it has its place. You need somebody to to do those functions. I think if management is so much more tactical oriented and, you know, planning, organizing, directing, uh, controlling kind of functions. But leadership is really inspiring and being that catalyst. And a different toolkit in my mind comes out of the leadership uh, bucket. And that is, this is someone who's great at inspiring others, influencing, negotiating, persuading, really pulling people in a direction uh, to see a vision. And to your point, that's in a business context, but we're all leaders and leaders of self, first and foremost. And we're certainly leaders in our home and families, communities, uh, social gatherings, et cetera. So it's just one of those things that people are looking for. And I think we're just, we have a leadership crisis in this world. Mm. So let's talk about the heart-centered piece. How did you develop this? Where did, where did it come from? It's kind of an interesting story. Um, So I've had my business for 22, almost 23 years. And one of the things that I was noticing as an executive coach that have really the great privilege and fortune to work with some really amazing leaders out there. And some of those leaders are probably the best of the best. And then we also work with leaders that are struggling. And one of the things that kept occurring to me is as I worked with leaders is I kept seeing a pattern a pattern for success and a pattern for what I call derailment. So they might have been successful at some point in their career and then they sort of hit the wall. 
And the pattern that I noticed the, of those that were derailing is that they totally missed the mark of how incredibly important it is to uh, do all that they can to support and take care of their direct reports, those employees that work for them every day. Because if you do that and you do that really well, then those employees will take care of that customer and that customer will take care of the business. And I kept seeing a miss. I kept seeing for those that were struggling, they, they were not necessarily good at engaging their associates. They were not good at inspiring them. They were not good at the whole people aspect, you know, looking at that individual as a whole person with a life outside of work and not just a worker and really connecting with that individual at a whole person level was missing for those that were really struggling. Those that were very successful, that was a common ingredient. So I remember one day literally shaking my head after walking out of a coaching engagement with a leader and just saying, gosh, it just does not have to be that difficult if they would just do these things. And I took out a piece of paper and I wrote these things down. And at that point, there were eight things on my list. And then after further reflection, I saw some combination of some things and I ended up with seven. And those seven things became the seven principles of heart-centered leadership. (laughs) I love that magic number, seven. Yeah. I know, I did too. <laughs> and it was serendipitous, was it? It just so happened? Oh, very much. That's very amazing. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so interesting that it came from seeing what people were not doing. So right. were you seeing people who were exemplifying some of these things, you know, if in the absence of not doing, you must have seen people who were doing it. Do you have any stories about people that you saw were doing these seven things that you ended up identifying? Absolutely. I mean, I saw some incredible examples of that. Um, there was a, an organization that was a hospitality company. And I just, I noticed, I mean, this is a very, very large organization with thousands of employees underneath the uh, roof, so to speak. It's a, a, a big, t- big convention center type of hotel. And it was so evident just watching the leader walk around. He knew every single person's name. They knew and hugged him as they saw him. Uh, he was smiling. He was he was engaging. He was asking about families. He knew their families. That you know, I had comments from some of these employees saying, you know, I would go through fire for this man. I mean, when you see that and you see the level of excitement in that building, and you could feel it, it was palatable. And just to see, and then of course having a conversation with him, and I could see he was a complete heart-centered leader. And in fact, was constantly trying to make sure that everybody on his team embraced that culture. Because as he said to me, is you, can, you can reproduce brick and mortar all day long. Mm. You can build a building all day long. But if you don't have that level of excitement and passion and a true passion in this case to serve other folks, since this was a hotel company, you're going to miss it. You're not going to get to the end game that you're looking for. And it's an awful lot of fun to do that with a whole team of people that are aligned and all on the same page. So it was very exciting to see that. There's many others, of course, but that mm-hmm. one, that's one that just popped in my mind. Yeah. It's about connecting with the at the emotional level, isn't it? Because yes. when you talk about excitement and passion and people wanting to hug, I mean, that's showing that you have, you're willing to express yourself in a way that connects with people at a different level than just business or headset. So if it's at this deep emotional level, is it something that is 
that can be learned? I mean, how do you actually get people to shift to being more heart-centered in their leadership? One of the things that I end up spending some real time with on those leaders that are starting from a place of not being very heart-centered and very business and very bottom-line results-oriented, and Mm. listen, you know, we all as businesses need to be profitable. My business has to be profitable too. I get it. But the, the difference is a lot of people or a lot of managers I've noticed have come from the mindset of, well, you either have to be totally business focused or completely the opposite end of the spectrum. And yeah. it's not an either or, it's an and. Mm-hmm. So, it, so one of the things that I would say is, listen, you gain power by giving it away. You gain power by being more vulnerable and being more real. And I would ask that leader, you know, think back in your own career with the best boss that you ever had. And what was it about that person? What did this person say and do every day? And as a result of those behaviors, what kind of impact did that leader have on you? And they can give me the list. And I will tell you, I've asked that question to thousands of people at this point because we do heart-centered leadership workshops, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And the answers are always the same. This leader inspired me, believed in me, empowered me, cared about me, listened to me, treated me like a whole human being, genuinely was interested in my success. And as a result, I would do anything for this leader. I was hoping to emulate that style myself. And if that person called me in on my day off, I'd be there in a New York minute. Mm. Well, I look at that and say, from a leadership perspective, what more can you ask for? than to have employees that are tapped in, tuned in, highly engaged, emotionally connected to you as a leader and to that business. I don't think you can ask for more than that. And that's the residual impact that a leader has when they embrace more of that thinking. Um, And it's a practice. I mean, for some, it's very scary to let the wall down and to be vulnerable and to share a personal, let's say, failure with Mm -hmm. a team. Mm But people look at that leader and say, you know, he's really real or she just gets it. And they are endeared to that. That's the goal is to get the leader to show that level of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. You do emotional intelligence work too, right? We do. I mean, we uh, use assessments with our leaders because especially in a coaching situation, we often find that sometimes the EQ is not as strong as the IQ. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And we certainly know statistically at this point that if you have to fall on one side or the other, where they have a stronger IQ over an EQ, the EQ is going to win out every time. You have to have IQ, of course, you have to have skills. But my point is, emotional intelligence has often been ignored as being important, and it's critically important. So yes, we do assess that. Yeah. And it's becoming increasingly important, as you said at the beginning of our conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm aware that your book, Heart-Centered Leadership, was re-released last year, February 2014. So it was re-released. Correct. Um, So what's the story behind that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting because um, Dr. Joel Bennett and I wrote the first edition of Heart-Centered Leadership a decade ago. And I remember again, pulling out that piece of paper and and figuring out what, if they would just get these seven things, (laughs) eight things to now seven things and writing that book with Dr. Bennett and just saying, you know, we have to get this message out. Uh, Leaders just do not understand. It doesn't have to be this difficult. 
so back then, a decade ago, uh, there weren't too many books out there that, or even statements out there that would have the word heart and leadership in the same sentence. So <laughs> we were definitely jumping off the cliff a little bit with this concept. And I had people say to me, you've, got, you've lost your mind. I mean, nobody <laughs> is going to resonate with this. Nobody. People are going to think you're all too warm and fuzzy and you don't get it. And, and I said, well, we're going to send this message out because it's a message that absolutely needs to get out. Well, then fast forward 10 years, right? We started noticing there's thousands of books being published now with a word heart and leader in the same sentence. So mm-hmm. we're finally getting there. But it was time to step back in and say, okay, you know, we introduced this concept a decade ago. We've learned some things since then. Obviously, other people have gotten on board and we want to celebrate that and we want to continue the conversation and continue the momentum. So that was the purpose for re-releasing with updated stories, research examples, et cetera. Mm, yeah, that's great. And um, I've discovered too, just by doing some general analysis of trends, that positivity, which is a subject matter that kind of directs my work, has now been an upwards trend on Google search in the last two years, so since 2012, up until that time, there were more searches for negativity than there have been for positivity. So yeah. I think there's kind of an inflection point where things start to take off. So yes. let's just ha- let's just stop for a moment. What do you think's been going on in the last 10 years that we see more interest in heartfelt leadership, in being more vulnerable, in understanding the role of emotions in our whole being, in being more interested in positive results. What's, what are you witnessing or what, what are you aware of? What have you discovered in these stories that you've been gathering in the last 10 years, Susan? Well, I would say not only in the stories gathered in the last 10 years, but a, a pattern and a trend that I'm noticing this last year and the beginning of this year, it, that's really increased. One of the things that I really noticed, especially this last year, is a large number of leaders that have been very successful in their careers. They've sort of gotten to the top of their career level. They're making enough money. They're, they're, all of those particular needs are being satisfied. But what's happening is they're starting to ask the question around, is this all there is? Mm-hmm. I mean, I have given up so much in my life to get to this point in my career career. And now I'm sitting back and saying, I have the success, but I really want something more. I'm hungry to make a difference, to make a bigger impact. um, And to know that the work that I'm doing really matters. I mean, at a more significant level. So I, I like to say what I'm seeing is a shifting of people from moving from success to significance. Mm. There's a hunger to, to give back and to do something important. Wow. And even though they can, you know, statistically quantify, if you will, the day-to-day impact of their, of their role and the success they built in their career, it's not enough. So I'm really noticing that trend. And a lot of folks uh, are starting to say, you know, really, I'm ready to jump off this cliff, so to speak. I want to do something that's really valuable. When you can lead in a heart-centered way, no matter what you're doing, no matter what position you have, but if you're leading in a way that is putting other people first and wanting to genuinely connect and give back, then it matters so much more. And the, the meaning and the richness of that leadership is, is greatly enhanced. It's so much more fulfilling. Yeah. And as you said that, what comes to mind are we actually have some great, very successful entrepreneurial leaders out there, 
being role models. I mean, I'm thinking of Bill Gates, for example, you know, yes. who's turned to philanthropy and to Richard Branson and so many others, um, you know, Negroponte, some great, great leaders who, you know, have made it. They've reached the pinnacle of their success and they're billionaires too. Um, however, they're being role models that you can go out there and do great things for the world at large. And it doesn't have to be on that large global scale. It can be in your own community. It can be in your own workplace. So that's what I'm hearing. Yes, absolutely. I would say it's, it's absolutely that. And again, such great role models and the work that um, Bill and Melinda Gates are doing. Mm -hmm. um, it really goes to show you, you, know, you build this tremendous wealth. And yes, that matters to a certain degree, but it buys you the opportunity to give back at a deeper level, which, you know, they're giving millions away. And I think that says a lot for the fact that you know, after a while, you can keep counting the dollars, but it's not going to bring you that real fulfillment and happiness and joy. Mm. Life easier, yes. Is there times where there will be some of that happiness? Yes. But it's not going to provide you that fulfillment and joy that, that giving back and, and helping other people really do. Yeah, I like you mentioned joy. So just another thought too, Susan, what about the younger generation coming in who you read about the millennials and you experience them in the workplace where having a sense of purpose and contribution has a greater attraction than earning big dollars? Absolutely. I think that is the best news story is the millennials coming into the workforce and those that have been in for a little while now. And of course, everybody was freaked out about them coming in. Yeah. They're looking at this and saying, okay, who are these people? They don't want to work, et cetera. You know, everybody's an individual. What I've really noticed about this particular generation is that they want to align themselves with organizations that stand for something that matter, that are doing something for community, for the, for the environment, for the globe, so to speak. And they, they're lining up to partner with organizations like that. So those companies that really, that understand that and that are doing those things like the conscious capitalism movement that I absolutely love and yeah. connect with, with John Mackey's work. Right what he's doing and what those organizations that uh, are aligned with conscious capitalism, those individuals and those companies are going to get the best talent that available. And there is a talent crisis now, you know, we go up and down through this, right? With a mm -hmm. recession, everybody didn't have a job. Now people are very choosy and can be choosy. So when the dust settles at the end of the day, those organizations, companies to work for, mm -hmm. those that are in that conscious capitalism movement will have the best talent. And they're going to help those organizations succeed. Yeah, well said. And I think you've given a great summary as to what's happened in the last 10 years. <laughs> There's been a lot. And, you know, yes. I, I like to focus on the all the opportunities and the positive things that are happening um, because that's what energizes us to keep going, right? Absolutely. Um, Couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> to focus a little bit on you now and then come back to um, your heart-centered leadership. So how did you find yourself on this path? I, you know, I, I think I personally, when I was very young in my career as one of those up-and-coming managers, very, very fast track, 
um, in the hospitality industry and clearly made all the mistakes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I didn't get it. I totally did not understand, which is why it's so easy for me to coach people that were where I was because I'm like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> been there, done that and know the story. But I did. I mean, I was young, very, very young manager. Um, I ended up being, you know, an assistant general manager at age of 22 for a hotel and then general manager at age 25. And I started learning that, oh, I get it. You know, you're going to have to be really good to people and treat people really well if you want them to perform at their very best. So after making the mistakes, starting to get on course, having some great mentors that significantly helped me get the bigger picture, I was on that path. And then after continuing to build out that career and the hospitality industry, started my own company knowing that our mission was to help people be the best they could possibly be professionally and personally. And keeping that mission front and center is what's really helped us grow our business and be successful. Yeah, you did have a very fast trajectory. General manager of a hotel at 25, that's remarkable. Yes, I was way over my head, quite frankly, <laughs> I, I figured it out after about a year and a half, but it took, it took that. <laughs> well, you know, often we have to be immersed in stuff to kind of fast track our learning, correct? And we Absolutely. do learn through our mistakes. Yeah, I think that, you know, it Absolutely. helps. And it also incites you to want to learn more and to learn how to do things better. So yes, obviously that did. was your path. <laughs> so in my, through my appreciative inquiry lens, let me ask you what you value about yourself. You know, when you think back over your career, what is it that you really appreciate about how you've gone about it to where you've got to today that you're now, you're out there writing about this that's very important to you, you're practicing it, you're teaching it, you're giving speaking engagements. What is it about yourself that you appreciate, Susan? I would say one of the things that I appreciate is that I was willing to, to learn the lessons, you know, to look at what was working and not working and shift my leadership style and be able to embrace a different way. So I'm proud that I had the willingness to make those changes. And I'm proud of the success we've had as a result. In our organization, we have an unbelievably talented very gifted a pool, a community of uh, employees and a contractor base that we, we use as well. Um, it's really a win-win and a special community. But I mean, every day I literally stop and say, you know, how did this happen? I mean, how am I so unbelievably fortunate? I just have such gratitude to have these people in our life and, to, and our clients as well are, are just amazing partners. And, um, and I know that's not everybody's experience. So I'm very proud of, of what we've built here. So what was it then? I, you know, I think it was embracing the heart center leadership style. It mm-hmm. was about getting that when you show genuine care and concern for other people, they feel that. And when they feel that, they want to work their very best for you. I mean, I am, it'll bring me to tears when I hear some of the situations that our team goes through. And I'm like, how, I mean, why did they do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They didn't have to do that. And they did that. And I'm just like, I mean, I know that answer intellectually, but it's still very moving when I see the the hoops and loops that our team goes through for, for a client, because they genuinely want that client to have the win that they're looking for. Um, and so when you see that and you're in the middle of that, it's actually quite sacred work. And um, it's just, it's, it's very enlightening. Mm, that's so beautiful. So it's something coming back to heart-centered leadership and being one yourself is what I'm hearing is, so it's not only 
admiring and wanting to work for the person, but it's also a belief in the mission. Yes. Right. So, so people are energized by what it is that you do, not a, not only who you are. I'd say that's true, and I and I hear I hear that often, and of course, it's very humbling yeah. <laughs> to hear that. But that's exactly what it is. It is amazing to see what people are willing to do. So it just it, you know I get a firsthand experience, which gives me that much more passion and drive to want to send this message to other people about this is what's possible for you if you'll just step back and realize that it doesn't have to be that difficult. Um, again, genuine, genuine care and concern for others pays off in a huge way, not only professionally, but personally, and not only financially, but spiritually, mentally, uh, physically, emotionally, all of it. Mm. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, I just love to talk more about this. Why don't we just focus now on the principles of heart-centered leadership? I know that you have seven and yes. they kind of turned up on a napkin more than 10 years ago. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so would you like to uh, share all of them or a number of them, you know, whatever you'd sure. like to share with us? Oh, I'd love to. And, you know, probably the, the first one and when Dr. Bennett and I, uh, you know, basically said, okay, so it looks like you've got seven here. What are we going to build out here? And I said, well, the first one, this has to be the first one. And the first one is know thyself. And, And this is about looking in the mirror and honestly assessing strengths, areas of opportunity, areas for growth. It's not about beating yourself up. Uh, it's not about, you know, having to be perfect, but it is about having that honest, assessment Mm -hmm. and to say, you know, this is what I'm really good at. And here's what I'm really not good at. And I need to surround myself with people that have that. Mm -hmm. And it's taking personal responsibility and accountability for how you show up in the world. Because everything you say or do, which leads me to another principle called know your impact, everything you say or do is creating an impact, whether you know it or not, or like it or not, you are. So I always like to equate uh, leaders with goldfish, you know, swimming around in that glass fish bowl. Mm-hmm. They may be minding their business, doing their thing, but the reality is that glass bowl is glass. People can see right through it. And like it or not, they're observing everything you say or do or don't say or do and making a decision. So it's not whether you're going to make an impact as a leader. Mm. And that's, by the way, that's a leader at home, community, uh, business, city, wherever you're going to make one. So the question will be, which do you choose to make? And being very conscious about that and mindful Mm -hmm. of that. Um, So that's another one of our principles is know your impact. And there's, of course, several others. We have one that's called don't judge or assume instead come to understand. And this one's a challenge for many, many people because, you know, we're, you know, we're just a judgmental society. I mean, you walk around and you make judgments every day and Part of that is hardwired um, in us for security and safety reasons. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be able to assess your terrain and know if you're in a safe environment. So we've got everything going against us in terms of how we're wired. So it takes some real thought to say, okay, wait a minute. I don't want to immediately judge a situation or, or assume I know where this person's coming from. I need to ask some questions and I need to genuinely understand where this person's coming from and then go from there in terms of getting the per- giving the person the benefit of the doubt. 
And that is not always easy for us to do, but frankly, quite important. And especially in a leadership role, Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had managed, excuse me, employees complain that, you know, my manager came to me and said, why did you do this? And he asked me the question, but it wouldn't allow me to answer the question. (laughs) And after being berated for five minutes, I I would have to say, well, if if you would just hear my side of the story, Mm -hmm. you'd understand. And then sometimes if that employee is lucky, the manager would listen to that side of the story and then they'd go, oh, now I understand. Well, you've done a lot of damage in that five minutes that could have been prevented by just asking first, tell me what happened in your particular situation. What it, how did you see the situation? What did you learn from that? What would you do differently in the future? Uh, you know, when managers don't ask the questions mm-hmm. and they get into the telling mode only, mm-hmm. They are losing a huge opportunity to get this wisdom on a silver platter handed to them mm. because you, you get the insight of who this employee is by asking the questions. And often um, we all are guilty of this. Um, you know, we acquiesce into the telling mode and we, we rob ourselves from the opportunity to really understand what's happening. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I describe that as living in inquiry. Stay in that space of inquiry. Absolutely. And if you can listen in your inquiry through a valuing lens, (laughs) then Mm. it's even better and seeking to understand what that other person's story. That's just fantastic. So you just maybe think about, are there any more that you want to share because you've just prompted another thought in me? Yeah, absolutely. No, a couple more. Um, Letting go is another one. Okay. it's difficult for all of us, <laughs> including myself. But and what does that is, mean? Yeah, this is really about stepping back and trusting that people will rise to the occasion when you give them the space and you give them the proper coaching and parameters and, and boundaries to help them be successful. And it's not trying to push not only your agenda, but how you want them to do it, but yeah. it's about advising and saying, here's where we need to go. What ideas do you have to get there? Mm -hmm. What need or resource do you need from me? How can I assist? But then letting them go. I mean, Mm -hmm. set up the milestone checks along the way to make sure that they're on the right track. I mean, we didn't say dumping, you know, it's not dumping on them. It's delegating and doing that in, in in a conscious way. So letting go is about that, not trying to over control or over an engineer People want to feel autonomous. They want to feel like they have that creativity and innovation to make some decisions. So it's letting that show up. And then I have one called Associates Have a Choice. And what that means is you may be a leader by title, but they may comply because you're the leader, but will they commit? And that's a totally Mm -hmm. different emotional reaction Mm -hmm. and and, uh, connection with that leader. If they commit to you as a leader, not only because you have your position, they all know that anyway, by the way, we're not telling them something they don't know. They know you're the boss, but they'll commit to you because of your personal power. And that personal power is who you are and how you show up. So it's, it's having that humility and understanding that just because you are the quote unquote leader doesn't mean people are going to follow you. And then I have one called they need what you need, which is simply saying we're all human beings, no matter what job you have, what car you drive, where you live. At the end of the day, the people needs are exactly the same. And uh, it's always remembering that. And the last is called care for the heart. And this is 
where we really felt this was the missing gold um, in the leadership um, language out there. And this is all about the leader taking really good care of themselves, physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Because if they don't have the, the capacity, it just takes tremendous energy to be a leader today. And you need energy around those four quadrants, the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And if you don't have a capacity to lead in those ways, you're not going to perform at your best. So it's taking really good care of yourself on, on four of those quadrants. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing those seven, seven principles of heart-centered leadership. So, yeah. So I think the one thing that I was thinking about earlier was, you know, this takes practice and it's a discipline and some people might have a more natural inclination to be this way than others, but we can learn it. And the one kind of constraint or external influence I was thinking about was time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know if you get it, but I get a lot, we don't have time <laughs> to do this. <laughs> oh, or I hear it, it all the time. <laughs> or the pressure may not be from the leader or the people themselves, but it's the pressures that come from external sources that can influence to a greater degree. So I'm just wondering how you, I'm, I'm sure we have people listening here today, Susan, who will be thinking, well, you know, we don't have time or our culture won't let it or, you know, the analysts or the external environment or the competitors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you respond to that? How do you make them feel it's worth the investment? First of all, thank you for that question, because that absolutely comes up all the time. I don't have time to be nice. And I said, well, you have time to be mean. So don't, why don't you have time to be nice? I mean, I just, you know, really at the end of the day, um, but listen, I, I will tell you, I, I remember What response talking, do you get to that? I mean, well, they just look at me. <laughs> I love it. They'll like, you know, honestly, they'll say, okay, touche. I get it. Yeah. Say, good for really, you. I, I, I'll say to somebody. I want you to practice saying something that is heart-centered and endearing to an employee, and I want you to time it. Uh, go. Yay. And they look at their watch, you know, as so I say, now go, and then I'll stop, and then I'll say, now, that was 15 seconds. So tell me why you don't have 15 seconds, mm-hmm. because you'll take that 15 seconds to say something maybe not so nice. So it's, it's an illusion that we don't have the time. Now I get fast paced because we're wrapped up in it. And when our clients are in that mode, we're right there with them trying to keep things settled because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're running around with chicken with their head cut, cut off. And we sometimes get caught up in that and have to take the deep step, you know, the back, the deep breath and step back. But so yes, I get it. And yet it's an illusion that we don't have the time. If you actually time yourself saying something nice, or you say something in an email or you send somebody a card. It doesn't take the length of time that it feels like it takes. So the reality is different than the perception, Mm. number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I often hear, you know, hey, Susan, I get this. I want to lead this way, but I'm sitting in a company culture that is so far from this. There is no way I can do this. And the only thing I can say is focus on your circle of influence and what you can control. You can control how you're working with your team. You can control what's happening with how you buffer messages that go from potentially above down to your team. You can mitigate some of the risk of that 
And here's the, here's the real thing to me is, so if I was to say somebody, yep, you're absolutely right. You're sitting in a culture that doesn't embrace is, oh, well, throw your hands up. I mean, that's a choice, but there's another choice. And the other choice is regardless of what's going on around me, I'm choosing this style with my team. And I think we've all worked in organizations where there is that leader and that department that everybody wants to work for. Mm -hmm. And then there's that leader and that other department that nobody wants to work for. Isn't it interesting they're sitting in the same company and in that same company culture and yet two very different leaders with very different impacts. So it's absolutely possible you make the decision to do what you can do around that. And I will tell you also, I've seen that leader that everybody wants to work for, they're getting noticed and people are watching. What are they doing? And they see that they had the lowest turnover and they had the happiest employees when it came to climate surveys and everything else. So people do notice that and it, and hopefully you can actually influence that uh, culture by being more of that uh, yourself. So I get it. It's difficult. I get the challenge of it, but there's absolutely a way through that. Yeah, that's terrific. And um, you're reminding me what you said earlier about being aware of the impact that you're having. So in that fishbowl, yes, <laughs> it's being noticed, right? And people yes. are noticing that they want to work for you and all that kind of stuff. Or the opposite. Or the opposite. People are, are moving away from you as opposed to moving toward you. And I actually hear a lot of Stephen Covey's influence coming through too. Um, in what you're saying there. So terrific stuff. And what about your aspirations? What are you hoping to achieve in the next years? Well, yeah, you know, we're up, as as you can tell, I mean, what I'm up to and mission is all about creating excellence for other helping people, you know, get there um, and anything we can do to help navigate that or, or to assist them in that process to be the best that they can possibly be. One of the things that I am currently working on and I'm just seeing so much challenge around is, you know, and I don't like the term because, but people will understand what I mean when I say it, which is the only reason why I want to say it. I I much prefer a different term, but it's the conflict resolution piece or what I'd love to say is have the authentic conversation. Mm. Uh, People don't know how to do that. Right. It's scary. It's, they're vulnerable. They're, they're like, I don't know how to speak my truth in a way that will resonate and land and not be punished for it. Right. And so that's, that's something we're up to. We're starting to work on building out a lot of material around that because we see a need in business. We see it in the home. We see it in community. We see it everywhere. And yet if we had heart-centered leadership, we wouldn't need this conflict resolution. You wouldn't we? need it near as much, mm. that is for sure. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but you have to start sure. where people are at. So Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I right. always say meet people where they are mm-hmm. and you have to do that and then you sort of influence and they'll, they'll follow you if you can meet them where they are first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you have to do. You got to pace before you lead, I call it. Mm. So is that another book? Maybe. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I had an inspiration just yesterday um, thinking, I know there's another book in the works and I'm trying to put my finger around what it is. 
good. But maybe that's it. <laughs> yeah. Do you go 10 years into the future now and come up with a name that won't resonate right now, but in 10 years' time, people will be saying, oh, wow, we get it. But, you know, <laughs> but, but with, the, with the exponential learning that happens, it's probably only going to be two years or five years by the time people get it. You know, well, let's hope so. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, you know, it's so interesting. When I was at university, I was told that it took 30 years for there to be a paradigm shift, meaning it's, you know, it's out there in the theory um, and some practice, but to become part of mainstream, it takes 30 years. Well, now I think it's about 10 years because, you know, your book originally was 10 years ago and now it's 10 years later. So I'm predicting that the new ways that we're adapting so quickly is that it's just going to get shorter and shorter. So that's a good thing. I think we're yes. making more rapid progress than we've ever made before. Absolutely. Things are speeding up, no question about it. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, so Susan, you know how I have a positivity lens activity on my show and yes. I invite the listeners to reflect on some of the things that the the guests have come up with, and you've got so much. So I wonder if you could share with us three or more or less activities, little practices that the audience might like to put into practice to find their heart-centered leadership. What might you offer us? Well, one of the things that is a practice for me, um, and not always good at it every day, but I still go back to the practice, is meditation. I mean, to me, that not only builds my energy capacity around all four quadrants that I spoke about earlier, um, it also keeps me very centered and grounded and focusing on what's really important in life. So I have a tendency to see the glass half full and meditation is a practice that helps me stay there. Mm -hmm. So I uh, do transcendental meditation practice um, twice a day for 20 minutes and it just really helps me stay focused there. And I think another thing that helps me also, especially if I find myself sort of slipping back into the, oh gosh, this is never going to happen or whatever. And that's a gratitude list. I mean, for me, and I know that's uh, spoken more about today probably than ever before, which is a great practice. But the more that I sit down and say, these are all the things that I'm really grateful for, it does shift you emotionally into a better place, a resonance of a better place. And so that's another practice that helps me. And then I think another is a physical exercise. I mean, I know that that sounds, you know, perhaps one would not connect one with the other, but I really find that if I get out of the head and into the body and whether that's the yoga and I do things like bar and spin class and uh, Pilates, those kinds of things really just helps me stay focused in the body and out of the head. And that helps me see things in the right light. So those are a couple of things that I like to do that works for me. Well, they're fantastic things um, that can work for us all. So thank you for sharing those. And I'll make sure that people have those. So Susan, is there anything else you'd like to say that I haven't given the opportunity to say. <laughs> well, you've, you've been great. You really have. And I love your work. And um, the work you're doing is so incredibly important, Robin. I mean, you're putting out there that you want the positive lens or you want the negative lens, Wh whatever lens you choose. I mean, it's, it's, you mentioned Covey earlier. Mm -hmm. And one of my very favorite quotes from him is, you know, we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Mm -hmm. You know, when we really come to terms with it's, it is about me. <laughs> it's not about other people in the sense of I've got to own, you know, how I'm putting myself out there and what impact and behavior I'm, 
I'm demonstrating makes a difference with everybody around me. And so I think if people could just take that responsibility for the, for how they're showing up and making a conscious decision to do this in a way that serves them and others around them, if everybody did that, wow, we'd have a very different world. We would. Amen. Ditto. I totally <laughs> agree with you. Well, I just want to remind everybody that links to Susan's work and her website and how you can reach Susan will be on the show notes page of Positivity Strategist. And for this week's episode, it will be positivitystrategist.com slash PS25. And there are great resources there. So Susan, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I've had such a lovely time speaking with you and I really, really love your message and can't wait to learn more and to keep informed of how you're doing in the world and the great work that you are doing. So thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you. It's been a real privilege and I love the opportunity and thank you for the work you're putting out in the world as well. Right. Bye now. Bye-bye. Susan has shared so much good stuff with us about heart-centered leadership. And so I'm encouraging you to download the Positivity Lens activity for this week on positivitystrategist.com slash PS25 to think about how you can nurture your own heart-centered leadership. Susan provided us with some really broad strokes that can help us stay heart-centered. Firstly, she mentioned meditation. So how you can devote a sacred time for yourself to quiet your mind and experience the compounding benefits of detaching from the noise. Second strategy was to start or to continue with your gratitude list. And remember when you experience the gratitude resonance, you begin to develop the habit to find and document all that you're grateful for and it flows into all parts of your day and across all your relationships. And the third thing that Susan shared with us was to commit to physical exercise. Whatever you can fit into your own routine, for example, it might be working out in a group or walking or cycling or doing yoga or Pilates. Remember, exercising really benefits not only your body, but your brain. So you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best. <laughs>